We praise God. That's awesome, man. The Lord, you know, one of the things that I've found is that as we go through this world, we need each other. And uh, one of the things we ended up talking about on uh, Friday night at prayer is the importance of unity and how that bonds us, right? And uh, Mr. Eddie brought that up on Friday night, and it was awesome. And uh, that's one of the things I've seen is that we need each other. We need each other. And, And the issue is... Uh, there was a statement I heard uh, this week. If you have a hole in the roof when it's not raining, it doesn't need fixed. But when it's raining, you can't fix it, right? And so a lot of times we don't realize that we might have a hole in our roof where the devil attacks. And we actually need family. We need spiritual family. Remember Jesus said, uh, they said, hey, your mother and brothers are outside. He said, who, are, who is my mother and brothers? And he pointed to the congregation and said, these are my mother and brothers. In other words, you see it in Jesus that there's something very special about spiritual family. There's something very special about blood family as well. But there's also something very special about a spiritual family. And we need that. And we might not know that we're going to need something. So it's not good for us to wait around and not have those connections built, not know that we can lean on somebody. You know, I know I can I can go to these men and say, hey, guys, I need some prayer on something. We're breaking through something. And I know these men will back me up because we've gotten to know each other because we've been a part of each other's lives. Uh, but we've got to get to that place, and it's very important. So praise God for life groups and the women's meetings and the men's meeting. Praise the Lord for that family. We need it. I need your supply in my life. Nicole and I need that. And uh, we need each other's. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. That's the way the Lord's designed it. So, hallelujah. I'm looking forward to Father's Day. I'm looking forward to tonight. Holy Spirit service. It's going to be awesome. And uh, I'm really excited about it. So, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. How long have we been on this now? Just right. <laughs> Just right. Amen. When we were talking about 1 Peter chapter 4, I don't know if you remember this or not, but when I first started preaching on it, the issue was I was, I was sitting there uh, one afternoon a uh, month or so ago, and uh, the Lord said, read 1 Peter. And I said, okay. So I started reading 1 Peter. And when I hit chapter 4, the Lord said, I want you to preach on that on Sunday. And, of course, I started on that Sunday. And now it's, you know, just a couple of Sundays down the road. Just, just a couple. And, uh, but when we looked at it, one of the first things that we talked about was the difference between our thinking uh, and God's thinking, the world's thinking, and God's thinking concerning suffering and persecution. And one of the things that you see, uh, and this is where it starts, and I I want you to see this. Let's just look quickly at verse 1. It says, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer 
for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So a lot of times when we hear the word suffering, and we've even been taught that suffering in the Bible is like, well, I just got to put up with it. But that's not what biblical suffering is, not what biblical suffering is at all, actually. And this, this chapter, if you follow it, it proves it. And if you listen to this whole series, you'll see it. All right, but here's the thing. Persecution, persecution is harassment from the world because of Jesus. In other words, people find out you're a Christian. Persecution in our lifetime in America is probably at an all-time high, but we're not in great persecution. There's different levels. The Bible lays out persecution, but then it lays out great persecution. Great persecution is found in Acts when they start dragging them out of their homes, killing them, and throwing them into jail. We're not in that really in America, but we are in persecution because you're looked at as, as ignorant not following the science, all these different things. That is, that is persecution. It's a harassment because of Jesus. It's a harassment because of that. And the funny thing is, is we're all going to find this out, but all, even science right now is proving that Jesus was right all along. <laughs> we're finding out that, that science is backing up the Bible uh, quicker. It's not, it's not the Bible backing up science. It's science finding out it's backing up the Bible because the Bible was in the lead the whole time. Amen? And uh, it's funny. You have to really deny a bunch of stuff to not believe in God. I mean, you have to deny a lot of science. A lot of science. All right. Huh? I probably, whatever you said, I probably shouldn't repeat. I didn't hear it, but I can just tell by the tone in your voice. You were being, I know. <laughs> what you embarrassed for now? <laughs> You're making a smart, jokey comment. <laughs> What's your eyes watering for? <laughs> now, this is, this is fun. <laughs> Suffering is a spirit-led life overcoming perceived hardships derived from going through this life of fleshly corruption. So what you see in the, the Word and the Bible's definition of suffering, you, you see that there are hardships in the world according to the flesh. But when we put on the walk of the Spirit, what was perceived hard becomes easy and light. And our job is not to sit in suffering and stew in it and stay there forever. Our job is to put on the Spirit that will empower us through it. So when you hear the word suffer in, in there, remember that there's no point that Jesus said, thanks be unto God who always leads us to stay in suffering. Is that what 2 Corinthians 2.14 says? No, no. It says, thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, right? In triumph in Christ. Now, we'll point out here as a matter of balance that uh, your idea of triumph and victory is probably different than God's idea of triumph and victory, right? Even what we see, even what we see with Jesus going to the cross, the disciples obviously thought him going to Jerusalem and going to the cross, they thought that was defeat. Don't go. No. And that's why Peter whipped out the sword. He was going to whip all those Roman soldiers all by himself. Jesus said, put your sword up. 
Got to, now I got to heal somebody, put their ear back on. Yeah, you're welcome. So God's victory at the cross was different than what the disciples thought. Our victory looks different, but hear this, it is victory and it is triumph. See, what the disciples couldn't see was that when Jesus paid that price, he actually bought victory and triumph for everybody. Here's what I also want you to see because some people say, well, we got to be like Jesus. We got to go, we got to carry our cross. Uh, He said, crucify the flesh, right? And we do carry a cross. And this cross is exactly what this chapter is talking about. The carrying of our cross is we put the flesh down. We crucify the flesh. That's the carrying. In other words, I'm not here for me. I'm here for thee. Right? That's the the suffering. I'm putting my flesh down for him. I'm putting it down for him. And so what, what you see is that... People have been taught and they've been, well, Jesus went to die. i got to go die for Jesus. That's not what he said. Kill the flesh, yes. But remember in Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, see, and a lot of times we don't understand the balance of these things. So, you know, you, people can say, well, I'm going to be a martyr. I'm going to, and they go zealously all the way to one, from one ditch to the other. I'm doing nothing to, I'm going to go and die for Jesus, you know. And there's a balance of that, a living sacrifice. But then you have situations very similar to the Apostle Paul. And while they're in a meeting, All of a sudden, a prophet comes up and says, Paul, I'm warning you, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you. And if, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to capture you. But he says, I need to go to Rome. He says, I need to go to Rome. I need to appear before Caesar. But the Holy Spirit warned him and said, if you do this and if you take this path, you will die in the end. And he laid out something an offering that Paul then had a choice to give or not give. See, this was a special instance where the Lord laid it out and said, you can go, you do not have to. It says very clearly the Holy Spirit warned Paul. He warned Paul. Agabus sat down, he bound his hands and his feet, and it says the Holy Spirit warned him. So here's what I want you to see. Paul didn't have to. Paul could have walked in victory all the days of his life, and even while he was bound, he walked in victory. You know, many times, even when he was in in captivity, he he was living literally like a king. You know, many times when he goes to, he's the he's the slave on the ship when it when it shipwrecks in Acts 27. He all, all of a sudden on the island of Malta, they treat him like royalty and they send him with a bunch of stuff. They gave him offerings like, hey, I am a prisoner, but thank you for the stuff. You know, God, God saw fit to get things into his hands to have an abundance for every good work. So even while he was a prisoner, it was different. It was different. It was different. See, the life in Christ is blessed. You have to have really bad doctrine and theology to not see that. 
And unfortunately in America we've had that bad doctrine and we've taught the you know, persecution, a worldly thinking of persecution, a worldly thinking of suffering. But I want you to see this. As far as God is concerned, God's always leading you to triumph. Paul had the opportunity to live out the rest of his days like the Apostle John. Remember the Apostle John? John showed it. He had a revelation of love of God. History tells us they couldn't kill him. They tried to boil him in oil. He popped out of the oil like I didn't pop. He, he, he pop, they send him uh, to uh, the Isle of Patmos. That's a place, it was, it's a dry desert island. They sent the roughest criminals there. He's like in his 80s. What do you think is going to happen to a guy in his 80s around a bunch of criminals on an island where nobody's policing them, right? On the isle, he goes to the Isle of Patmos. You realize he even got off that isle. He goes to the Isle of Patmos. He gets the book of Revelation, right. survives the island, and walks around. They couldn't kill him. He lived in victory all of his life. Paul had that opportunity as well, but the Lord presented him and said, you can walk in victory. We already know that. By thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph. He said, but, see, God gave him the option. I'm asking you if you would like to go and give your life for me because this gospel must be preached in Rome. It must be preached throughout the whole world. It must get to Caesar. Will you be the one? But it will, and he told him, it will cost you your freedom and it will cost you your life. And Paul said, I must take it up. See, that was a choice of Paul saying, Lord, but did he have to? No, he didn't have to. It was a choice. You start to see that. God gives us a choice to do that. That's the proper working of suffering and persecution and victory in that. So, uh, we talked about this. If you didn't hear more about that suffering and persecution, go back. But understand, uh, go back and hear the first pieces of this series. But understand that 1 Peter 4, the whole chapter is about suffering. And suffering is going through in victory. And while everybody else, the one example that we looked at, specifically was Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. For my yoke is, for, he says, I'm gentle and my yoke is, and my burden is, so it's easy and light. And then I said this, if your life is not easy and light, then you have to say something's off. Something's off. This is an indicator. It's like when you're in the car and the little dash light blinks at you, right? If it's not easy in life, light, there's your indicator. There's your indicator. Something's off in my walk. Something's off in my thinking. Lord, what is it? Help me and see if we humble ourselves to him and say, Lord, show me, show me why this has been hard and heavy. Something's not right. Something's not right. Lord, the Holy Ghost, he's not withholding any good thing from those who walk uprightly. Jesus calls you friend, and he wants to disclose to you all the things of God. If you ask him for wisdom, he's already made a promise. I will give to you liberally. So if we will humble ourselves, say, Lord, show me why this feels differently. Show me why it feels hard and heavy. This should be easy and light. What's the difference? 
And so the example we looked at was Jesus in the boat when he was asleep uh, with his head on the pillow and the demonic storm comes up. Same situation, two different outcomes, two different perceived moments, perceived levels of hardship or easy. Disciples had it hard and heavy. Jesus had it easy and light. Had he not had it easy in light, they might not have made it through the storm. So how he approached the storm gave us the outcome. How we approach the storm gives us a different outcome. Hear that again. How we approach the storm gives us a different outcome. How we view the storm. See, they're saying this storm's got us. It's going to kill us. Oh, Lord. You know, that's what they're saying. I know y'all have never been there at any storm in your life. You've never flipped out when a storm was in your life. None of y'all, because you're holy and you're awesome and you do it so well. Y'all have never flipped out. Never. Never. But if you ever find yourself in a moment where you feel like you might, that's why I'm preaching this, okay? If you ever get to that place where you think, I, 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 I kind of feel like flipping out right now. I'm, that's why I know you've never done it, but I'm, I'm just in case, you know, just in case. How you approach the storm, how you view the storm determines the, out, the outcome. How you approach the storm and how you view the storm determines the outcome. The disciples, oh, Lord, look at that storm. Oh, it's going to kill us. That's the disciples, right? Jesus was like, you are, are abnormal, should not be here. Normal around me is heaven on earth. Be peace, be still. He didn't see it as something that could kill him. He saw it as something that could be dispersed. Hear that? He didn't see it as something that could kill him. He saw it as something that his job was to destroy the works of the enemy. 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God was manifested for this purpose to destroy the works of the enemy. So he went, oh, work of the devil. The Son of God was manifested to destroy that. Children of God are manifested with the Spirit of Christ in them, with the Holy Ghost, with power and demonstration to destroy the works of the devil. You're the hands. You're the feet. Now, I, I do want to point out as a, a point of balance, you don't just, you know, you might see somebody who's operating in demonic things. You don't just walk up into their work and be like, you devil! Don't do that. Probably get you thrown in jail. You demon, come out! You know, notice Jesus didn't do that to everybody. And the word says this, he only said what he heard the Father say, and it gives us this context. He only did what he saw the Father do. In other words, learn how to be led by God in those moments, and you'll know exactly what to do, when to do, and how to do it. And then when you speak, it will carry the power of God's word backing it. Amen? All right. Now, looking on down, let's read these same verses in the message. Since Jesus went through everything, one of the things that we pointed out was the words, arm yourselves 
with suffering, which we said that's a very interesting thing. Arm yourselves with suffering? Arm yourselves? Well, that, you know, if you think in the worldly terms of suffering, like, oh, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. But there's, there's a spiritual principle here. There's something here to be grabbed a hold of. Arm yourselves with suffering. And listen to this in the message. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. And let's review. Learn to think like he thinks about the storm. To view the storm like he views it. To handle the storm like he handles it. To know that he was carrying something like he knew he was carrying something. Let's learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. <laughs> In other words, when I put down, when I go through the suffering of the world going through, the suffering of the world is showing me I can't live by my flesh. I can't live by me getting my own way all the time. Matter of fact, if I do live by that, I'm a fleshly Christian. I'm a worldly Christian. I'm what the Bible calls a carnal Christian. Carnal means, and this is always funny, some of y'all have heard it, but carnal, you know the word carne, the root word is carne, which means meat. Carnal means don't be a carnal, the word says don't be a carnal-minded Christian. And so tell your neighbor, don't be a meathead. Don't be a meathead. That's a carnal-minded Christian. Don't be a meathead. Don't be thinking like the flesh. So we know if, if we're going through suffering, what's screaming when we're going through suffering? The flesh, a corrupted flesh is screaming. And what, do, what have you seen, not you, but other people... What, what have you seen other people, how have they responded when their flesh is screaming? It's so silly, yeah. It's like, oh, flesh, I'm so sorry that you're hurt. Let me give you everything, right? Let me just give you everything, flesh. And then all of a sudden you have a church that the world is laughing at because they look just like the world. That's not who we are supposed to be. So in the middle of suffering, what's actually suffering is not you, the real you, the spirit man. In the middle of suffering, what's suffering is your fleshly ways. Your fleshly thinking, not the thinking of Jesus, your fleshly thinking. And so if we're going to go through suffering in a biblical way, what we're saying is, yeah, flesh, you have no right anymore. I'm arming myself with this position. Flesh, you've got no right to run my life anymore. I will not be held bond in bondage by your screaming, by your tantrum that you throw because, because you want to have your way. I won't be held in bondage. No, I'll be broken free in the power of Christ to think like him, to be like him, to go after God like Jesus went after him, to be the light like him, to carry the glory like him. But you can't do that if you're in bondage to everything the flesh wants you to do. You can't do that. So we've got to break free from it. That's why the Bible says, arm yourselves with suffering. Because it's not the spirit man that's suffering. 
It's the flesh man. No flesh. You can't do that. Can't do that. Sorry. It says for us to submit the flesh is how the word talks about it. He says, think of your sufferings as a weaning, a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your way. Do you know what most people are upset about? Because I found this in counseling marriages over years and years and years. Most people are upset because they expected it to go one way and it went another way. Almost every time. They had an expectation that wasn't met. Now, see, if we turn our expectations to heavenly expectations, that is a great thing that God meets based on biblical promises. But if we have an expectation that is not met, all of a sudden we're, we're hurt. See, suffering is this. Our flesh is expecting to be fed. And that's the suffering. That's the weight. That's the issue is that our flesh expects I'm going to get what I want. You don't believe me? Just start fasting. You'll find out in about three or four hours or one hour with Marky. And, and about... <laughs> we love you. <laughs> You'll find out in just a few hours how much expectation your flesh had about food. You start fasting, you'll learn some things about suffering. And it tells you in Isaiah 58 that when you start fasting, fasting, fasting when you start fasting, you don't move to the place where you let the suffering of the flesh affect who you are, your attitude, and how hard it is on your life. No, you put that down. He said, why do you, do you fast just so you can be, drive hard your workers? In other words, do you fast just, just to make it hard on everybody around you while I'm fasting? Well, y'all don't understand. I'm fasting. You're, I'm being spiritual. Get in line with me, you know. I know y'all have never felt that when you're fasting. I've felt it before. I'll just admit to you once. <laughs> One time. And then I fixed it. Yeah, it never came back. Not true. Not true. The question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to submit the flesh while you're in the middle of that? You see, so all of a sudden he says, arm yourself with this suffering that I'm not expecting to get my own way. That I'm not, my flesh, I don't care what the flesh thinks. Your flesh, you ain't going to get your own way. Not going to get it. All right. Then it goes on. It says, think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit. In other words, the more we take this approach, the more we're going we're gonna to say, okay, no to that. You know, one might slip through and you, you know, uh, concede to the flesh one day. I'm not prophesying it, but I know I've had that happen. I'm trying to do right, and all of a sudden I miss it, and my flesh goes through, and, you know, I say something I shouldn't have had and different things like that. And um, so <laughs> it reminds, uh, reminds me of a story I heard one time, and uh, I'll, I'll tell it tell it from my perspective, uh, but one time I was in this theater. Have you ever been in a theater where, like, they show the movie and it's, and it's really out of focus? And, and it's like, God, so, like, you can tell what's going on, but it's like, oh, my gosh. Well, one day we were in this, in this theater, and this guy, you know, he had had enough, you know, and uh, he had had enough of, like, they, like, fix it, you know? And so this guy, I'm thinking it, you know, and this guy, 
This guy stands up and he goes, focus! And Nicole said, sit down. I was like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> you know, I conceded a little bit. That didn't actually happen, but it's a good story and a good joke. Have you, you know, sometimes the flesh may get through a little bit, right? Not prophesying, but odds are, <laughs> odds are you might not get it right for the rest of your time on this earth. I mean, I'm, and odds are. And, and, and I want to prepare you for that moment as, as random and, and, and as, as far off as it may be. I just want to prepare. But I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm talking to some, somebody watching online. If you ever find yourself in that, what you're doing is you're weaning away that. In other words, you just keep at it. Don't get weary in well-doing. You keep at it, you keep at it, you keep at it. And all of a sudden, you'll find that you get better and better and better and better and better. And uh, I remember early on uh, when we still lived back in Popeton, the Lord spoke to me, and, and he said this. He said, I want you to live your life in such a way that the devil himself could go over your life with a fine-tooth comb and he would find nothing to accuse you of. Yeah. I'm thinking, I know the accusatory nature of the devil and I know that he's in those details and I'm thinking, when the Lord spoke that to me, it looked like an insurmountable mountain for me to put flesh down and start living holy. I was like, Lord, that's it. Live my life in such a way that I'll never have anything wrong on the smallest level. The smallest level. And I thought, that sounds almost impossible. And, and the Lord he, you know, brought these verses. You know, with you it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then he gave, me this, he gave me this instruction. I think this is very fitting here. He said, just say yes to me when I ask you to do something. The small things, the big things, just keep telling me yes. I said, okay. And I'm going to tell you, the first five years or so of that, man, I was changing stuff and cleaning up stuff, constant, constant. And then it slowed its pace a little bit because I'd cleaned up the major areas. But I didn't stop. You know, that was over 15 years ago. And I'm still, maybe, maybe more, that was probably 17, 18 years ago. But still today, I find myself having to tell him, yes, I'm, I'm still weaning away the flesh. But I'll tell you, it gets easier and easier. It, you get stronger and stronger. All of a sudden, you start getting some of these things right, and you'll find yourself, you know how you felt in life before, and it's like everything, like, can one more thing go wrong? You know, and the reason it's going wrong like that is because you're in the wrong place. But if you keep telling God yes, all of a sudden, you start getting in the right place. You're like, oh, oh, this is much better. Glory to God. I like this. Amen. All right, this is good. It's easier. Why? Because you've changed location, you've changed position, you've weaned away that sinful flesh. And then you, you see this, it, it says in verse 2, if you'll do this, you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue God, to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want or by what your flesh wants. 
Let me, let me read that again. Put that up. Message, 1 Peter 4, 2 in the message. If you will wean from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way, if you'll think like Jesus, verse 2, then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. See the freedom in it. If I'm always bound to what I want, if I'm always bound to what I want, man, my life's going to be miserable. At some point, i got to decide, I'm not living that way anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. The living by the flesh is over. Living by the flesh is over. Now, let me, let me read this. Now, concerning your old way and old friends, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles or the desires of the flesh. That time's already passed. You're sitting in church today. Sorry, too late. You should view it as, well, I, I used to live by the flesh all the rest of the days of my life. And Jesus is saying to you today in, in 1 Peter, by the Holy Ghost, okay, let all that junk of the past be enough, be sufficient for you. Now let's put on holiness from this day forward. This is the Holy Spirit saying this. Now, here's what I want you to see. If the Holy Spirit says, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the flesh, then there has to be a provision. There has to be a provision there for you to walk differently from this day forward. Or else God couldn't say it. But he did say it, which means he's given you all the strength that you need. Over in Peter, it says this, For you've already been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. We're not waiting on anything. We have it within ourselves. One of the most devilish statements that people have accepted is, Well, I just can't stop it. Untrue. Lie. Straight from, that's a demonic doctrine. I just can't help myself. Not true. If you're born again, you've been granted everything pertaining to godliness. You can walk like him. You can walk like him. Say it with me right now. Say, I can walk like Jesus. I can walk like Jesus. Say it again. I can walk like Jesus. I should walk like Jesus. I've been empowered to walk like Jesus. God expects me to walk like Jesus. Amen. I believe you. He says, uh, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, of abominable idolatries, in all that, yeah, Jesus was there too. In, <laughs> in all this, they are, they, talking about the friends that you left, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of disp dissipation. Dissipation means your old friends, your old friends are surprised you're not still there with them. They don't understand it. Like, what are they doing? What is he doing? What is she doing? Oh, she's at church now. All right? And then it says, they're surprised that you don't continue in the excesses of and he says, this life lived in the flesh is dissipation. That word means this life lived in the flesh is wastefulness, abandoned, and prodigal. 
That's what that word means. Wasted and abandoned purpose and an abandoned fruitfulness and prodigal. How many people want to get up to heaven, stand in front of Jesus in the judgment seat of Christ? You're born again. He's going to award you for what you did good. But then you're going to find out that portions of your life were completely abandoned when you could have been fruitful. And Jesus says, Those, you were in dissipation. You abandoned what I gave you to do. I want to reward you right here. I paid for it. I paid for your sin, but I want to award you. I want to reward you in eternity, but I can't. God's a just judge. How many people want to get up there and have that conversation? I don't. That means we have to make a, set our mind to put the flesh down no matter what. Now, all of this is very important because we're getting to a point here. He said, but then listen to this. He says, and your old friends, they malign you or they slander you. So in other words, those friends who you used to be in sin with, they're sitting there and the Bible says they're talking about you. Well, I just feel like they might be talking about you. They are. They are. <laughs> they're talking about you. Jesus said. They're talking about you. You don't have to work, question it anymore. You might as well go all out. Might as well just go after God with everything you got because they're they talking about you. Some of them is not the ones you used to drink with. Some of them is the ones you used to go to church with. I didn't realize I was standing right in front of you when I said that. But the more you nodded, the more I thought, oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Me too. Me too. Hey, I'll tell you, let, oh, y'all going to love this. <laughs> You're going to love this. You're going to love it because I love it. The devil did not like what happened in here last Sunday. <laughs> he did not like what happened in this place last Sunday during worship. I heard more negative reports about this church this week <laughs> than I've heard in years. I'm talking, I heard more stuff this week. I'm like, oh, glory to God. <laughs> glory to God. The devil didn't like it. That makes me happy. He don't like people worshiping like that. Because we talked about at prayer on Friday. That doesn't just happen. That's got to be in the heart of a people. I, 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 as a pastor, can't make that kind of worship and that kind of praise happen. It's got to be in you. you got to want that yourselves. And that's what happened. A group, a congregation, got in unity to praise God. Oh, glory to God. Whoo, the devil don't like that because he knows when a congregation gets in unity over the things of God, stuff starts popping. Stuff starts happening. So, I mean, stuff starts exploding in the spirit. He can't hold it back. He's scared of it, and so he's, all, he's got people talking. Oh, they slandering us. Amen. They, good, fine. I don't care. I knew that the whole time. We knew that going in. They go and talk about you. They talked about Jesus. They're going to talk about you. That's why he said it. So to get us ready, they're going to talk about you. They're talking about you. Might as well make it good. Might as well go all out. Yeah. Glory to God. Might as well jump all in, in the deep end, nest tea plunge. <laughs> just, just baptize in the Holy Ghost and fire. Yeah. Lord, we give ourselves to you. Oh, Holy Spirit service is going to be fun. <laughs> but, verse 5, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge 
the living and the dead. I have no idea what just happened. I don't think I want to. Kicking the dust off? Your legs asleep. Oh, I thought you were being holy. Kicking the dust off your feet, huh? He sewed and then walked back. Oh, okay. You were being holy. I enjoy picking on you and Marky. But they will give an account. The, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead or believers that have been passed, that though they are judged, though they, their flesh has been judged, that's why, they, we, that's why we pass away because we, the spirit being, is, is not judged out of that sin, but the flesh man is, which is why we have to pass away. We have to get rid of this body. Now, for some of us who are... Um, some of us who are received by the Lord in the air, right? Some of us that are raptured will have that death to that flesh body in an instant. In an instant, we'll, in a twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. That could happen any minute, y'all. Any minute. It could happen before we get done with the service. Yeah, I mean, listen, we are ready and primed for it. Now, the second coming of Christ, it can't happen. It's got at least seven years to go. The second coming, when he comes in victory against the enemies of God. But the rapture of the church, that can happen any time. We're there. We're there. And when he comes, in a twinkling of an eye, this flesh body is going to be turned into a spiritual body, a glorified body by Christ. And in an instant, this flesh, this corrupted flesh, will be judged. Oh, you can't come. Corrupted flesh filled with sin and everything, you can't come into the presence of God. But God will glorify these bodies, give us glorified bodies that can come into the presence of God. Glory to God. Glory to God. We can, we can step into the presence of God with Jesus. Yes. All right. And this is what it says. They'll be judged dead in the flesh as men, but they, so that they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. I'm telling you now, in the Spirit right now, you have a fullness of life inside of you. Yeah. A fullness of life. Now, here's these verses as we, as we I, I almost said as we wrap up today, but we got like 11, no, we got like six verses, so I better not say that. These verses show us how to take this suffering and the putting down of the flesh, especially in the end of the age, and put it in the right perspective. And I've been wanting to get to these verses for some weeks now, but we've got to have the understanding of the things that I gave you a summary of so far so that we can get to that. So I want you to see this. If we arm ourselves with suffering, putting down the flesh, we'll do these next verses right. If we'll arm ourselves with suffering, we'll, we'll operate in these next verses the way that we should. Let's look at this, verse 7. First of all, uh, the, in the, the end of all things is near. Oh, yay. <laughs> oh, yay. And the end of all things is near. And I want you to hear this. Now, this is written close to 2,000 years ago. So how much closer is the end of all things now? Oh, we're close. 
And if you know how to see the sign of the times, right? It's kind of like this. When we were talking in our end time study in Impact You, when we were talking about that a few months ago, one of the things you see is if you're going down the timeline of God's calendar and here is the second coming of Christ where he comes back and he comes with a shout with all of his saints and seven years before that, you see the rapture. And so we're seeing the signs for his second coming. How close then, if we're already seeing signs for the second coming, how close is the rapture? Man, we're on it. We're on it. And it can be any minute. And when he says the end of all things is near, it, it's... We're close. It's time. It's time for some things to happen. And if you can see the writing on the wall of what's happening around the earth right now, you see the globalism that's trying to be pushed. You see peace and safety being preached. You see, you see I mean, my goodness, if you didn't see that in the last couple of years, you know, peace and safety is a sign of the times of the second coming of Christ. And, and all of a sudden, you see globalism being pushed. You see peace and safety being. You see what's good called, called bad and what's bad called good. You see people that are, that are completely given over, completely given over to the flesh. I, the, the downhill slide of our morality is crazy. The end of all things is very near, very near. In other words, here, let, let me just give this to you, church. It is not time to play games. This is not a time to be playing church. This is a time to be the church, be the body of Christ. This is not a time to play church. All right, not a time to play games. And, and because it's not a time to play games, look at this verse. Therefore... Be of, because it's not time to play games, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. I, I want you to see this. Look at how important prayer is to God. He says, look, you need to, uh, you need to tackle prayer with eternity in mind. Yeah. And you need to approach for the purpose of prayer. Make sure that you have sound judgment and that you have a sober spirit. Don't be drunk with all the stuff of the world. Don't be drunk with all the world's desires and trying to accomplish this and try to accomplish that. And I, well, I just got to build my portfolio. Now look, God will help you build that portfolio. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All these things. If you go back and look at it in Matthew 6, that's verse 6.33. If you look at the context of Matthew 6, it's everything, material things, spiritual things, social things. Everything you need will be added to you. Don't you purpose yourself after building your own fleshly life that moth and rust can destroy, but you go after the kingdom of God and God will make those things happen. I can tell you now from experience, not, not just from Scripture. Scripture is stronger, but I can tell you from experience. 
Because the Lord had told me things some years ago, go after me, you don't have to worry about retirement. You don't have to worry about being blessed, things like that. We're watching that stuff play out right now. Things that, that we, I thought, how in the world is this going to ever happen? All of a sudden, it's manifesting. It's manifesting. God truly cares about you, and he wants to get good things to you. Our job is to seek first, build his house first. He gives us that in Scripture. Build my house first. Be concerned with my house before your own house, and I'll bless you. When we take that heart, all of a sudden things change. He says this. He says, be of sound judgment. That sound judgment means this. Be sensible. Now, think about this. Everything I'm about to say about sound judgment is to be mixed with a sobriety in the Spirit. In other words, I'm seeing things soberly. I'm not drunk with the cares of the world. I'm not drunk with the desires of fleshly stuff. I'm not drunk, and watch this, what, the whole chapter, what's it about? It's about us recognizing to arm ourselves with suffering, which means my flesh wants what it wants. It wants to sin. And what he's saying is, therefore, because you are to go through suffering properly and arm yourself with suffering, and because the end of the age is near, be sober. In other words, don't be drunk with everything the flesh yells for. Don't be drunk with those things. Because the flesh is going to try to get you drunk on those things so that the only thing you're thinking about is that. When I used to drink uh, alcohol, when I used to drink, yes, I, I used to do that. Did y'all know that? I, I, it, it happened a lot. If I did something, I was all in. That's why it's easy for me to be all in with Jesus now. Because I did that all in. Uh, it, people be like, you know, People be like, well, I can drink more than you. I was like, well, we'll find out. And, but now it's like, I can go after Jesus more than, than you can. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. I like that stuff. That gets me going. Like, you tell me you're going to fast more, pray more, do all that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, amen, let's do it. <laughs> let's go. I like that. That's me. But when I used to drink, See, I was drunk with, I was drunk before I ever started taking a drink. I was drunk with the idea of getting drunk. I looked forward to it. All of my thoughts were about that. They weren't about doing what I needed to do. All I was thinking about is how to get enough money to go and get that drink. See, that's the thing about the, the sin of the world. It can get you drunk. And God's saying because the age is near and because you're supposed to arm yourself with suffering and go against the sin of the flesh, don't let the sin of the flesh get you drunk. Be sober. No. Oh, I see the traps of the world. I see the traps of sin. I see how I can get drunk on going after this, after the house, after the retirement. I see how I can build a big business. God wants you to have all stuff. God wants you to have it all. The issue is who's doing the building? And what is your focus? And God says, be sober. So what I'm about to read about sound judgment, we've got to look at sound judgment through the lens of being sober because they go together. I can't be drunk with the things of the flesh. I've got to look at it through this. Be of sound judgment. 
soberly, I've got to be sensible. All right? I want to go do this, but the church is doing this. They're going soul winning. I, but I want to go play golf or whatever. But the church is going soul winning where God has planted me. So a sober sensibility says, that's fun on my flesh right now, but the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. And he says, I want this, but God says, build the house of the Lord first before I build my own house, which means my pleasure as well. And so it says, I've got to be sober and sensible of sound judgment. I need to go do that. This is, what are we doing? We're arming ourselves with the suffering. We're telling our flesh, no, you can't go play golf or whatever it is. It could be a million different things. I, I can't arm myself with that. I've got to arm myself with the purpose of the kingdom of God. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the, uh, watch it, for the purpose of prayer. You start to see if I don't have sensible and sober judgment, then when I go to pray, my prayers aren't going to work right. So you got a lot of people in the church around America that they're going into prayer, but they're not of sound judgment. They're not putting down and going through the right kind of suffering. They're not arming themselves with suffering and putting down the flesh. So they go into prayer. They're not even thinking right, and so their prayers don't line up with the Word of God, and nothing gets accomplished. Sound judgment means sensible. It means exercise self-control. Hear this. Sound judgment means this. Curb to curb one's passions to curb our fleshly passions. Now, it, when I say it, does God want you to go play golf? Yes. Does he want you to have the big house? Yes. Does he want you to have a really big business and a really big retirement and be, and be just abundantly wealthy? Yes. The issue is when we do it and what purpose do we take? When we do that and what purpose do we take? He says, verse 8, above all, be fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. I wrote this, I wrote this down. I want you to see it is love, you know, I've always thought about what does that mean love covers a multitude of sins because I've seen it used wrong. Well, if I just love on them, you know, that... You know, it'll cover their sin and it'll, it'll fix them if I just love them. That's not what that's saying. That, that's not what that's saying. Well, you just need to love me because even though I sin, love covers a multitude of sins, so you need to love me even though I sin. That is not what that's saying. Love covers a multitude of sins means this. You think about Noah. When Noah got off the boat, if you don't know this story, Noah planted a vineyard. So Noah did this great, big, mighty thing. He gets off the boat. He plants a vineyard. One thing to notice, before, before the flood, Noah had a purpose. So he just built the ark for 100 years. Soon as he gets done with that purpose, he messes up. That should speak to us. Keep a mission and a purpose in, in our lives. Yeah. And what's that purpose? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. 
That's our ultimate purpose. Our, our number one occupation as Christians is to be ambassadors. And he says this, but as soon as he gets off the boat, he plants a vineyard. Uh, before long, he's making wine. All of a sudden, now he's drunk in the tent, right? And uh, so he says this, his son comes in and sees him. And then that son wrongfully goes and basically makes fun of him to his other brothers. The two other brothers were godly. And so they take a, a blanket and they hold the blanket. They don't even want to look on Noah's sin and on his mistake. They back up into the tent and without ever looking at him, they cover that. In other words, they're not saying that he didn't sin, but they're not sitting there making fun of him because he missed it. Now, the other brother got in trouble for it because he made fun of it. Love covers. Here's the thing. Love keeps us from seeing other sins. Love keeps us from seeing that. In other words, it's not that they don't. It's, it keeps us because what happens in an argument if we're, not, if we're not arming ourselves with suffering and you and I all of a sudden got in an argument, what's the first thing that I'm going to bring up in that argument? The last time you sinned. Right? Well, last, I saw you the other day when you did this. Blah, 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 right? Why? See, if I'm in love, I don't even remember that. I don't even remember that. Love is not accusatory. Love covers that keeps us from seeing that other sin. But here's, here's another thing. Love covers, listen to what it says, love covers a multitude of sins. Here's the other thing about that. When we will operate in love, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. When we operate in love, it will keep us out of our own. See, when we arm ourselves with suffering, what we're saying is, Lord, I love you enough to tell my flesh no, and now I will cover all of those sins by my actions of love because I love you. I won't, in other words, love covers a multitude of sins. Love keeps us from seeing other sins, and it keeps us out of our own sins. And look at the rest of this verse. It says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Think about this, because love covers a multitude of sins. Look at this now. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Keep fervent in it, because love keep, you know, covers a multitude of sins. If I'm operating in love, that will cover what would have been sin and will remove that sin from my life. And now, if I did sin, it's going to affect another believer. So if I'm going to keep fervent in my love for one another, then one of the things I've got to do is let's cover those sins by never walking in them, by arming myself with suffering. And now I'm not going to affect the witness and the testimony of my, of my fellow brother either. So it covers. That's a love. But look at this word, be fervent in your love for one another. This is where we ended up Friday night. A fervent love. For one another. This is where we ended up in prayer. Now, I want you to see this. Just as a side note, this is turned up too loud and it needs to be turned down. That's why it keeps making that noise. Okay? So we'll turn this down, pull it up back there. Okay? All right, it's the gain's too high on it. All right, so he says this. He says, above all, keep fervent 
in your love for one another. Now, what, think about that. Think right now. What God's commanded me to do is keep fervent in my love for other people. Not just for myself, but for other people. Keep fervent. What does that word fervent mean? That word fervent means this. One definition of that word fervent is boiling. Boiling. It's boiling. There's a power. In other words, it's so hot. It's overflowing. It's always in action. It, you, know, you, you, you start a boil, and you can see a couple of little bubbles, but then you want to get it. Many, many recipes will say, bring to a rolling boil, <laughs> like I've read recipes. And, and many recipes will say, bring to a rolling boil, right? A rolling boil. What does that mean? That means it's rolling. It's constantly. There's a fervency to that boil. That's what it means. That I, there's so much love inside of me. It's overflowing. It's always in motion. It won't stop. Fervent means earnest, intentional. I'm doing it on purpose. It sounds like I'm arming myself with suffering, which means I'm arming myself with God's love. I'm intentional about it. Dang it, buddy. You did something against me. I really didn't like it, but I'm going to be intentional in my love towards you, no matter what you did. You didn't, but I'm going to be intentional even though I could take them to task for something, even though I could take my neighbor to task, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to be fervent. I will not, boiling, I will not set, let my love set still. I won't let it sit still. I'm going to be intentional with it. I'm going to give it whether you deserve it or not. How many of us in here didn't deserve the love that Jesus poured out? Because he had his love fervent towards the ones created in his image and likeness. Even when we didn't deserve it. A fervency, a boiling, earnest, intentional love towards us saved us for eternity. Saved us for eternity. One more definition of, of fervency is this. It says, above all, hear that, say that with me, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Can you see that love, a major portion of love, is very clearly directed at other people? It's intentional towards other people. It's something that we need unity in. That's what happened Friday night in prayer. There was an intentionality towards one another in the love of God. Something happened. Something happened last month in men's group. Something happened on Friday night. Something happened last... There's a noise that's happening, a heavenly noise that's happening in this house. God's answering our prayers. But it's when our love is not just pointed at ourselves and at our flesh, but it's pointed at other people. It's intentional. It's intentional. Here, here's the, another definition of fervent. 
Be fervent. Above all, be fervent in your love towards one another. It means to be stretched out. In other words, come here, Mark. Right there. In other words, love is not just, oh, convenient that you're here. I love you. Love is not just convenient. Love says, I'm stretching for you. I'm stretching to do it when it's inconvenient. It's reaching for something that's not convenient. Love love doesn't just do the convenient thing. No, it it stretches. And when we stretch our love towards one another, when we stretch in uh, forgiveness towards one another, when we stretch in giving to each other, when we stretch our love towards each other, now we're fulfilling what Christ did because, listen, heaven was a far away place from the earth when Jesus left that throne. He stretched his love for us. And we're supposed to be like him. Actually, we're supposed to look just like him. Ephesians 4 says to to be built up and growing into the fullness of the stature of Christ and to grow up into him in all aspects, including this one, that I would be fervent in my love to one another. I'll intentional stretched out. My love won't sit still. No, it's going to be ever moving towards each person that God puts in my path. Stretching out for it. Hopefully, as we go on, the whole of this region will see the love in Boomerang, a house of love. Stretched out towards our community, stretched out towards each other. They'll see a family they want to be a part of. Thanks, sir. They'll see, they'll see something they want to be a part of. They'll see a family. They'll see an intentionality about the love that we carry. Like you talk about it. You, you can call us all kinds of names. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to go after you with the love of Christ. I don't care if you cuss me. I don't care what you try to do. We're still going to love you. We're going to stretch out towards you even when it's inconvenient. We're even when it's convenient or inconvenient, we're going to stretch our love towards you. We're going to grab a hold of you, show you the aspect of Christ's love. Show you the aspect of it. Forgive. Let's, oh, I had a right to, but to come against that, but I don't care. Love covers a multitude of sins. I don't care. Yeah, maybe you didn't deserve my love. Who cares? I didn't deserve Christ's love. My goodness, I'm coming out good. If I received his love when I didn't deserve it, the at least I can do is pour it out on somebody else who didn't deserve it. The least I can do, my responsibility is to do that. First and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you fulfill these, you've fulfilled all of the law. We must have a fervent, boiling, intentional, earnest, stretched out love. Not just for people, but a continual... Remember what we preached last week in Acts chapter 2. A continued devotion of not not just what started last week, but how about a a stretched out love to God? Lord, I'm stretching for you. I'm not doing what's convenient. I'm going to do what's inconvenient. 
made me so happy. I, you know, we've been doing a little bit of fasting and a little bit of juice fasting over the last few weeks, and Nicole's done really well. She's, she's, you know, doing an extended fast in it. I had more freedom in it. The Lord didn't tell me to be as strict with it, and and uh, so I've had times where I'd have a meal, and then times where I went back on it and everything. But uh, it, it really blessed me because our girls and and Marky, they said, you know what, everybody's fasting. I want to, I want to. I just want to fast. In other words, they didn't say, I'm going to do what's convenient. Convenience is keep on eating. No, they arm themselves with the suffering. They arm themselves with love. They stretch forth. And even the last couple of nights, the last couple of nights, I had a bite. Uh, Luke and I did. I'd, I'd fast you know, pretty much during the day, but at night I, I had something. And uh, they, they don't have a direct word from God to fast right now. They don't have a direct word from the Lord. They just felt like, I want to give God seven days of fasting. That's not a word from the Lord. That's a, Lord, I'm stretching to you. And and even when I said it last night, I said, said, you know, I I have the freedom. The Lord didn't tell me mine had to be strict. Yours may be different. I, I can't tell you what to do. But even when they saw me eat something, they said, no, I'm going to be fervent. I'm going to be intentional. Lord, it's not just stretching towards each other, which obviously this scripture is talking about, but let's, let's take it back to the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and I watch them be fervent in stretching. God sees that stuff. It's honoring of God. It's honoring the Lord. And, and that's an intentional, boiling, earnest stretching out to our Father. See, we can't just have that worship that happened last week be a one-time thing. No, it's got to be continual devotion. Lord, I'm going after you. If nobody else does, I'm going after you. I'm stretching my love towards you, Lord. You can go ahead. I'm stretching my love towards you. And today things are changing because I will be fervent in my love. I think many of us, the Lord is drawing us by the Holy Ghost even right now. The Lord is drawing us. Will you be intentional because the end of all things is near? Will you be intentional in this age? Will will you let me be through you what I want you to be? Will you let me lead you? Will you let me guide you? Will you, you let me be everything that I've called you to be? God's calling us. He, he's, he's moving our hearts. We've got to start with relationship with Him. We've got to start by committing our life to Jesus. But it can't stop there. It's got to be a stretched out, fervent, boiling love on purpose with all of our heart. Lord, I want you. I need you, Father. i got to have you. Lord, I've got to go after you. Lord, today... Is this your cry today? Lord, today I'm arming myself with your love. I'm arming myself by putting the flesh down. Lord, I I hear you. Just, Just bow your heads for a second. Lord, I hear your cry in my heart to stretch out towards you, to be intentional. Is anybody in here, they'll they'll say, hey, I'm sensing the Holy Spirit talking to me today. Just keep your hands up, man, hands all over the place. Lord, I hear you. 
Anybody else? Lord, I, I need to stretch toward you. You can start today. You know, it, it's not an unseen thing. You can start today simply by just reaching up your hand right now. Lord, I, I need you. And I'm not afraid of telling people about it. I'm not afraid of being talked bad. I need you, though. I need a Savior. I need you in my life. Lord, I stretch my hands to you. I need you today. I need to walk on a different level. I need to arm myself with the suffering and the putting down of the flesh. Arm myself with love towards you and let it be boiling. And Lord, I need your help. I need your help. If that's you, if you're saying, Lord, I need your help, raise your hand. Lord, I need your help. And I know you're going to help me. I just invite you, every person that, that senses that, just come down now to this altar. Come down now. Lord, I need you. Look at that. I mean, it's everybody. Don't, don't be ashamed. We all need him. We all need him. Lord, I need you. I may pray, I may pray for some, but just take your time at the altar talking to them. Lord, I need you. I, I'm going after you. I got to have your help. If you need to come down, come on down. Don't be ashamed of that. Look, who doesn't need his help? <laughs> we all need it. That's just it. We couldn't do it without him. We couldn't do it without him. Lord, we need you today. Just start praying to him right now. Telling him what you need to. Letting go of things that you need to let go of. Arming yourself. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, draw our hearts to you. Draw our hearts to you. Draw our hearts to you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I want us just right now, as you're stretching out your love to the Father, to be reminded to stretch it out to one another. Don't just leave it here at the altar, but take it with you this afternoon and, and tomorrow and the rest of the week. I want all of us in here, every single person, whether you're standing up here or still seated, or if you're watching online, I want us all to pray this. Just say, Lord, right now, say, Jesus, today you are the Lord of my life. And I believe that you died for me. And I believe that God brought you back to life for my sins. And you didn't leave me in that place of death. But you have raised me up. Say it today. I am saved by the blood of Jesus. I am saved from everything I need saving from. Jesus baptized me in the Holy Spirit and fire so that I can arm myself with love to put the flesh down and live by your spirit. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Now, just right now, just start receiving that saving and that salvation in you now. 
The word in Romans says this, Romans 15, around verse 18 and 19, it says this, that the gospel was fully preached when signs and wonders followed. In other words, it wasn't just, it says the kingdom is not just in word only, but in power. So the Lord doesn't just want you to walk away going, oh, that was a good message. Because he says very clearly, if that's all you got out of it, then you can say, well, I believe on the message that Pastor Brian preached. But no, he wants you to receive the power of the kingdom of God. When he saved us, he healed us. He delivered us. He prospered us. He protected us. He restored us. And he gave us fellowship with God. Jesus became the doorway, the only doorway to the Father. But right now, I just want you to lift your hands wherever you are. Lift your hands right now and say, Lord, I receive your salvation. I receive healing in my body. I receive prosperity. I get out of this poverty by you. Right now, I receive protection. I receive your healing. I receive restoration. I receive your deliverance. Jesus, thank you for saving me right now. And just close your eyes and just start receiving. He's going to start pouring out on you right now, right where you sit, right where you stand. Oh, glory to God. Yeah, understand, because it's not me doing it, it's him. Right now, he's touching hearts. He's changing minds. He's helping you have the strength. He's healing bodies. He's bringing favor into your business, into your finances. He's bringing favor into, into the people that you're around. Thank you, Lord, for setting things straight. I just pray right now, Lord, like Ephesians chapter 1, let all of our eyes of understanding be enlightened so that we can see clearly what is your will and what isn't your will. And Lord, let us be strengthened with all your might so that we can choose your will. Hote de kana atakalasto, 